We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, January 25th, 2024, as we bring you a new episode. Yes, I am back from visiting Australia and New Zealand. I enjoy all the comments that people left on the podcast episodes that were published while I was away. Great interviews with Night Train Vec, George Offman, and AJ Mithin covering assortment of topics. Nothing time sensitive regarding the Chicago White Sox, but since I was away for a couple weeks, I missed a lot uh, since being away. And to help me catch up, in this episode of everything that I have missed out is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. So Jim, good to chat with you again. It's good to be back. Uh, I missed a lot. Like <laughs> the bullet points that I have here in front of me could easily cover two to three full podcast episodes. So we're going to have to try our very best. And I, I'm grateful for you that you'll be able to walk me through everything and like the fine details that I missed on these topics as uh, we try to get, at least I try to get caught up to present day White Sox news. Yeah, the White Sox towed the line of having news and having stuff to write about, series of developments that were, that, that merited posts and, you know, kept me going and didn't really have to worry about like having uh, writer's block or just like getting caught in between, spending a lot of time on something that's not essential and all of a sudden news breaks. So, they did us the solid there, but also nothing crucial enough, nothing game changing enough to where like I had to figure out, okay, let's set up the YouTube live stream and let me try steering a show and let's see how that goes. So they spared me that, but they did keep me busy uh, just, you know, keeping the uh, site going. So yeah, it, it was the perfect balance of news, but not emergency podcast material that, uh, you know, and things could wait a day or a week or two weeks as you just enjoyed yourself, uh, left the hemisphere, left the hemispheres, and uh, yeah. seemed like you had a hell of a time. I did. I did, yeah. A, a quick recap of New Zealand and Australia. Uh, 
put New Zealand on your bucket list. If you have never visited before, put it on your bucket list to go. It's really hard for me to describe just how beautiful New Zealand is. Auckland reminds me a lot of San Diego that you have what they call the Brito Mart, like downtown Auckland, high-end stores, but mixed in with some great restaurants and great bars. And they have built up their, their marina area and just sitting there and having some cocktails, having a very nice dinner at the marina reminded me a lot of the places that I've ate in San Diego and uh, got a chance to meet up with a couple White Sox fans on the trip. Got a wonderful day tour with Shane Harmon. And again, Shane, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. That was an awesome day. He picked us up at port and drove us around Wellington. And that's a great little city. And I should say little. It's like 300,000 people live in Wellington. But a lot of Wellington reminds me, as Shane put it, as like San Francisco. So if you enjoy going to San Francisco... Uh, you'll love going to Wellington. Just just awesome. Like, Lead Street was great. Cuba Street he took us to a great brewery. Uh, we had an awesome lunch. Uh, New Zealand was fantastic. The seas, though, if you go to New Zealand and Australia, I did the cruise option. Sailing from New Zealand to Australia is a bit brutal. Like, the seas are very, very rocky. Uh, so I would recommend flying over if you are if you get seasick easily like I do. Uh, but we spent a couple of days in Sydney. That was cool. Stayed in the Rocks District for most of the time. Got to see the Opera House and saw the bridge up close. I'm not brave enough to do the bridge climb for those that have done it. I'm sure you guys had some cool views. Uh, I'm a coward uh, when it comes to height. So, no, thank you. Sydney was cool. And then I had dinner with AJ Mitten in Melbourne. We had some uh, Australian barbecue, which was really good. And Melbourne, in a lot of ways, reminds me of Chicago. And just the way that people move and how everything is really fast-paced in the city. So it's a good transition back to home life. And I got a chance. Kim and I stopped. uh, We we made a pit stop at the Australian Open and uh, saw Coco Goff win her quarterfinals match, which was pretty cool. So it, it was an excellent trip. Awesome trip. I think... With that trip, Jim, if I decide to retire, like if I'm in the 50s and 60s and let's say there's a job opening in Australia or New Zealand to help out their baseball federation decades from now, uh, I may take that up. Like I could see that be my retirement destination of where I move is to New Zealand, probably more New Zealand than Australia. Cause I really do love New Zealand. They could just go down there, help out Dave Nelson, uh, say, where do I start? And yeah. then by that time, uh, oh, maybe Liam Hendricks is that guy. He it could be. Yeah. Goes back home and is the godfather of Australian baseball. That that was the one person I met on this trip. They were from Perth. And when I mentioned that I'm a White Sox fan, they immediately brought up Liam Hendricks. So Liam, of course, yeah. from Perth. So that was a that was pretty cool, too. So I... Yeah, if it's not on your bucket list, put New Zealand definitely on your bucket list. It is a very long flight. Uh, and Australia is pretty cool too, but I need to spend more time in Australia to further appreciate Sydney, Melbourne, and the other parts of the country as well. 
Yeah, all you missed uh, here, at least uh, on my end, was in a uh, snowstorm, which in Nashville means nobody moves because they don't have yep. plows for the side <laughs> streets. Uh, then followed by freezing rain uh, that froze over the streets, turned the street into an ice sheet. And so in my neighborhood, uh, we did not go anywhere because we were just watching cars slide down the hill. Uh, yeah. Seven cars got stuck. I think we only got salted because there was an intersection or an accident at the intersection at the end of our street. Fire truck came, fire truck got stuck. Uh, just <laughs> lo you know, locked in because you know the street was too narrow from cars that were already in ditches. So that's when the salt truck came, but then had to go down the street backwards because all the stuck cars prevented anything from going in uh, the way the salt truck was going. So once I saw the fire truck start uh, nearly taking out a utility pole, that's I thought, all right, we're in business here because you can't have a stuck fire engine on the street for you know, and take that out of commission for the neighborhood. So that's what it took in order to uh, get to leave my house. So you had a better, uh, better week or so than I did, but otherwise it was fine. Yeah, that's what my neighbor said, is that I missed winter. Because uh, it looks like it could be in the 40s, maybe even 50 degrees next week in Chicago. So I, I missed the uh, the cold freeze so far in winter in Chicago, which uh, bless up for me. And I feel bad for everybody else that's listening to this episode that had to suffer. So I'm sorry that you had to go through that. All right, so that's the personal stuff. So let's get me caught up here on what I miss when it comes to the White Sox stuff. And the biggest news story... And for the 670 the score producers that kept texting me while I was on vacation uh, to see if I could join the show to talk about this big news item. And unfortunately, I could never get the times right or travel conflicts, which thank you, Jim, so much for stepping up uh, and joining one of those segments for me as I completely lost track of time and the flight plans were not going to make me available. So thank you for doing that. But it's this 78 development project in the South Loop of Chicago. And the White Sox looking at that as a possible destination to build a new stadium. This is one of the topics that I've done a lot of reading on. But Jim, what is like the big thing for you when you are hearing about this proposal that the White Sox and the city of Chicago, especially City Hall with Mayor Brandon Johnson that this could be a serious destination for a new White Sox stadium. Here's a case where like maybe the one thing about uh, writing about the White Sox where I run the risk of being out of town stupid. I think everything else about the White Sox, like I have a pretty firm grasp on after doing this uh, every day since uh, you know February 2006 coming up on 18 years of doing this. But like when it comes to land and developers and history of developers and development and the appetite for public funding or various kinds of public funding and where funds might come from and who wants what done. That's where I don't like this came up very suddenly and like very maturely for how suddenly it was like by the time we heard about it, they had renderings. It wasn't like. Yeah. yeah, here's the White Sox. Uh, yeah, this would be a good spot to plop down a ballpark. Nothing's happening here. Every other attempt they've had to develop here has fallen through. What if we put something here? By the time it showed up, it was like, White Sox are talking about this. It sounds serious. They've actually done studies or they've they've uh, done enough land uh, study to actually have like a feasible rendering uh, and getting people excited about it. And so at that point, I wonder like, what's the catch for everybody like 
at my most cynical, I'm wondering if like White Sox feel like it's in their uh, advantage to present this to have everybody so tantalized about what a White Sox ballpark could be if only they got $400 million of public funds or whatever they want to get. Uh, when, and no dollar figure has been announced, but I'm just, you know, some kind of sizable, too large amount that could cause some haggling and back and forth and, you know, the same kind of angst that they had the last time they went around and around about this in the 1980s. Uh, so, like, that's kind of, you know, my catch on that side. What I don't quite know is, like, how badly Chicago, uh, you know, the mayor's office, uh, people in public office, want to develop this site. Uh, because it's been vacant for so long, it could have so much tax potential for, uh, you know, the area that, like, would it make sense for the city or the state to support something that is big enough to get all the bulldozers there, all the, you know, the, the heavy machinery there to lay the pipes and the, you know, power lines and redirect or like, you know, rail or whatever they have to do with that. You know, just to, all the stuff that like building a gas station or building like a strip mall would not warrant. So that's what I don't quite know. And maybe you've had some, uh, uh, you know, insight that I don't have, but seeing the, uh, your older person's office, uh, Nicole yep. Lee saying like, Hey, you know, this isn't a bad plan as much as I want the white Sox to stay and uh, them to be a part of Bridgeport. Like I have to say, uh, this looks ideal if they can actually get it done. Yeah. I, that's why I do like her. She is, uh, honest about things and transparent and how she feels about certain issues, not just in our ward, but other wards in Chicago as well. A warning for those that do not like politics and sports mixing. We're not giving our views, but we need to talk about a little bit of Chicago politics here with, with this particular idea. And I think that's what's kind of missing out in this analysis, because a lot of the analysis has been how can the White Sox possibly talk about a new stadium when you look at the current roster of the team, like, and the Zips projections came out and we'll do an episode with Dan Saborski, our best friend of the show to talk about those wonderful Zips projections that man of those are the 50th percentile projections, the current win loss uh, over under in Vegas right now for the white Sox from, from some sports books, Jim is 63 and a half wins. And the fact that the white Sox consistently underperform their zips projections at least the 50th percentile i mean that on paper from zips that you could read on fangraphs.com and jim also wrote about it on socksmachine.com that looks like a 55 win team like last year was the worst white Sox win-loss record of our lifetime and mm -hmm. i don't know how this team wins 60 games right now uh with what the projections currently spit out from zips that's that's how dismal it looks at least to me and I understand people coming from that angle. I think John Greenberg of The Athletic, he makes valid points. Like, it's really tough for White Sox fans and anyone that covers the White Sox to talk about and get excited about a new stadium, a new entertainment district, when you are building a team that's going to lose 100-plus games again. And it's going to make the, the, the present unbearable to to watch this baseball team but you want me to be excited five six years down the road when they move from 35th and shields where they've been for more than a century uh to the south loop of chicago but 
everything takes time and reading and watching from WTDW, the public access channel, the PBS station in Chicago. I like to read their work and especially these news items. And they were speaking with sports consultants based in Chicago and that's their job. They consult sports organizations when they're trying to get new stadiums or build out these entertainment districts. They say it takes five to six years and I believe them. So if this is going to be your plan A on a new stadium when the current agreement expires after the 2029 season, technically in the middle of the 2030 season, which I think the deal expires currently between the Chicago White Sox and the state in June of 2030. If you want this to be your plan A, you got to start working now. Now, from a White Sox perspective, we know, Jim, why they need to distract us. And I think you did an excellent job writing about that on SoxMachine.com, reading you every day while I was away, uh, even though I was a day ahead of you. <laughs> I think you put it perfectly <laughs> that it's really hard to get excited about these renderings and this possibility when the present-day White Sox stink. But from the mayor's office that you pointed out to the out-of-town stupid, like, what am I missing here? Brandon Johnson needs a win. In November 15th of 2023, from IllinoisPolicy.org, the latest approval ratings for the Chicago mayors from the Lincoln poll had Brandon Johnson with an approval rate of 28%. That's only 1% higher than former Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who didn't even make it to the runoff election to face Brandon Johnson. It is the lowest approval rate since 1979 of a new mayor in Chicago. And what's crushing him right now is the migrant crisis in the city of Chicago because of what's happening at the border. Number of migrants coming, and they came to Bridgeport. A lot. There was a big migrant camp at the Chicago Police Department for a couple of months at 31st and Halstead. It doesn't exist now. But the city is really struggling, Jim, to find temporary homes for all these migrants that are coming into the city. And now Brandon Johnson is trying to work with mayors in the suburbs to try to find better solutions on what to do with the unexpected people that are arriving in the city. And there are, I think I read... In the news, I think it was either Tribune or sometimes there are seven lawsuits against the mayor's office because of advocacy groups that the city hall is spending more time and resources trying to figure out the migrant crisis when there are still homeless people in Chicago and we are in winter and not enough resources are to help that part of the population as well. At this moment, it's Brandon Johnson needs a win and he needs this Jim. Like this is one of these rare cases in which the white Sox need this distraction. Chicago city hall needs this distraction. Both parties involved need this distraction. And if they can get current governor JB Pritzker to approve some state funding to provide, well, first they got to clean the land because they're worried about contaminants uh, which I'm sure they're going to find something. The land needs sewage and the land needs electricity. If the state can pay for that type of development so that you could actually develop the land into something, then I think this could really move forward very quickly in which, yeah, this could be a reality for the White Sox. But 
for all parties involved. Like I understand everyone pushing back, like the White Sox need this distraction. City Hall, Mayor's Office of Chicago Gym really needs this, this distraction as well. So I wouldn't be surprised in the months coming ahead, maybe even more, another news dump, a major news dump this summer coming with more renderings, more official things, maybe a path, a resolution that the aldermen's of Chicago can vote and approve on. We may see this build more momentum as 2024 marches on because I just don't know how anyone is going to win in the city of Chicago with the migrant crisis and these lawsuits. It's, it's a tough gig right now. I would not want to be the mayor of Chicago. I don't know how anybody ever wants this job, but I wouldn't want to be the mayor of any city. I think that's maybe the part of the narrative that's missing right now for you not living here. But then again, you have the best narrative living in Nashville to squash the White Sox, possibly really relocated to Nashville because we don't have that insight like you do. Yeah, I don't know uh, when it comes to, I guess, you know, when it comes to Nashville, like, yeah, it's weird that that came up with the White Sox at all. But, yeah, I just don't know who would want to be the mayor of any city. Like, that seems like one of the least rewarding jobs in politics because so much gets laid at your feet. And, you know, having trying to learn Nashville because, I you know, just this is my first time voting in a mayoral election in Nashville <laughs> and realize, like, I'm probably going to screw up this vote three or four times until I figure out, like, who, you know, who actually matters in city government to know, like, what experience matters. Because I'm reading the best I can in terms of positions. They all kind of overlap. I'm thinking, like, it takes a while to understand, like, what actually gets stuff done or who can get stuff done? What are expectations for things that can get done for just one person in a city government? So, yeah, uh, having been knee deep in municipal politics here, like, yeah, just uh, my, my takeaway is like it takes uh, yeah, a glutton for punishment, I think, to run for mayor in the first place, just because uh, once you get the gig, like it's not all ribbon cuttings. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I wasn't around when the dailies ran the city. I, I arrived in Chicago in later 2011. So I think that's Rob Emanuel. And then, yeah, I mean, Rob Emanuel left the mayoral office in Chicago in 2016 with a 27% approval rating. So it just feels like Chicago. Yeah, nobody likes anybody there. No. That's what I mean. Like it just, <laughs> right. everybody gets chewed up and spit out and, you know, and you can like, they bring it upon themselves, but yeah, it also takes, I think a certain personality to like invite uh yeah to have I, I think it takes a certain ego to feel like i'm the one who can fix this and then it all comes tumbling down yeah and and that's one another thing to add into this you know the politics conversation because it's going to be a lot of politics no matter what the white Sox want to do with the new stadium which obviously impacts us fans but for those that live in chicago and illinois will impact us personally with our taxes and our property taxes By the time a project like this gets done, you may have a new chairperson for the Chicago White Sox. You may have a different person in the mayor's office. And we may have a different governor in the state of Illinois. Like, by by the time you cut the ribbon, let's say if this does come to fruition, today, it's a lot of Jerry Reinsdorf, Brandon Johnson, and J.B. Pritzker, and the aldermen. When it's done, you could have four, six different people cutting the ribbon Mm -hmm. on a project that they weren't really involved with at the beginning and pushed it through that. They're just there to show up at the end and be part of the celebration. Like this is why it's so weird with like everyone involved 
and the nitty gritty and the fine details right now of what is happening with all these parties at the moment. Like that's just what humors me is like, yeah, 2030, it's going to be, it could be probably all different people at the ribbon cutting. Yeah. I also don't know like what this does for the White Sox franchise valuation. Just good co- yeah, good uh, would it make them way more appealing? Even if the, you know, next owner has to foot some of the bill, would the next owner want to foot some of the bill in order to get some of the property around there and, and shape it to uh, their uh, specifications? So like, that's, that's what I don't know. And that's why like, I can't quite tell like the White Sox appetite to drive this and do what's necessary versus trying to milk as much money possible out of the state, just because it could benefit them to have that kind of uh, gorgeous skyline view behind it and the ballpark everybody wanted with uh, Armor Square or Armor Park. Uh, and turns out that they got the mall park that faces the wrong way instead. And it's just the ballpark nobody thinks of. And it's like bottom three in baseball uh, or get, yeah, after Tropicana Field and the Coliseum. It's like, you know, oftentimes guaranteed fa- great field is 28th. And this would obviously change that. Remind me a lot of uh, Target Field and just the, oh, yeah. the idea of um, you know, kind of how it looked, kind of how it fit in the city. Uh, the idea of going straight from the airport to the ballpark, like that's what that brought to mind. And Target Field's nice, uh, I think, by and large, for the most part. Like uh, a beautiful park. Uh, upper deck felt a little bit like removed or not part of it. But I mean, that's a criticism with a uh, guaranteed right field too. So it is uh, exciting, but also like baffling to the point where like, I don't know how to process this. So uh, that's kind of my honest reaction right now is like still trying to figure out who benefits from everything the most. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. And again, let's, I'm, I'm expecting more this summer, like until there is resolutions and something moving forward at City Hall that the aldermen are, and older women are going to have an opportunity to vote on something, then it's hard to take this serious. Like, this is just an idea. And I think it is a good idea. It is a good location. But how realistic is this possibility? I think we're still a few months away from that. But something needs to be moving forward for the White Sox in a new home if they do not like the current stadium, if they want a new stadium in Chicago or anywhere, they got to start moving. And again, Jerry Reinsdorf turns 88 pretty soon here in early February. It can't all be on him. I hope he's got a team. Even though I, it sounds like he, he knows everything and uh, he wants to do everything himself. But yeah, a part of the Chicago White Sox organization needs to figure out what the new home is going to be. Because if they do want to build a new stadium, it's a five to six year process. And that time to start planning is now. So yeah, we ha- we do have to talk about this on top of what's going on the field. But at times I feel like this is going to be more interesting than the on the field product, Jim. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. This is a distraction. Is it a worthwhile distraction? We'll see. Right now, it's hard to tell. But with that said, that's obviously the biggest bullet point. We'll get to the other bullet points of what I missed, including the White Sox finding Jason Benetti's replacement on the TV side after a quick word from our sponsors. 
We at Sox Machine have a special event planned on Wednesday nights, March 27th at the newly reopened Remova Theater. Along with our friends from the 108s, we'll be hosting a live Sox Machine podcast to kick off the 2024 regular season and celebrate opening day. There'll be special guests, giveaways, and plenty of hashtag 108ing as you'll get to mingle with other White Sox fans. This is a seated event where you have to be 18 years or older to attend. Tickets are just $22, which you can purchase at RemovaChicago.com. That's all one word, RemovaChicago.com. And Jim and I, we can't wait to see everyone at our opening day Eve show at the Remova Theater. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine podcast. All right, so we talked about the big bullet point, a possible new home for the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox did make an official hiring on January 25th, earlier today, as they replaced, they found Jason Benetti's replacement in the TV booth. It's going to be John Schriffen. And John Schriffen is 39 years old. He is currently doing broadcast work for ESPN. Uh, he has been in television broadcasting at a very young age, working on Good Morning America, uh, being a news correspondent for obviously that very popular show. He's done a lot of work for ESPN. He's called football games. He's called basketball games. He's done some work for the XFL. And he loves baseball, though, as he was on the Parkinson Spiegel show on 670 The Score. He shared the story that he was actually going to be a pitcher at Dartmouth. 
an Ivy League school, but he hurt himself his freshman year early, and uh, he had to give up baseball, and then he went into broadcasting. And now here he is after his career in television. He ends up in the Chicago White Sox TV booth. And Jim, there was three finalists. Like, I was prepared to talk about Dave Fleming leaving WEEI in Boston. Connor McKnight, who we know very well. He's been on this show multiple times. We love Connor. And kind of the out-of-the-box suggestion in John Schriffen now getting the job. So how do you feel about this hiring? You know, I, I again, going to the honest reaction of like, not sure yet uh, because of how unknown he is. Also, like, you know, his resume on one hand, you know, being uh, 39, being somebody who did like all sorts of sports and all sorts of experience, not too different from Jason Benetti. Uh, the one difference is that Benetti had uh, experience calling Syracuse uh, Chiefs games. And so, like, you could go through MILB.TV, you know, click through some audio yeah. of the years he was there, uh, look up some, you know, key prospects for some highlights for their minor leagues and hear him over it and kind of get an idea of, like, a normal Jason Benetti inning uh, during a normal midsummer game. And, you know, also when there is a, you know, big home run from a big big prospect, Grand Slam, et cetera, the things that make minor league highlight reels, like being able to hear him raise his voice for a baseball specific moment as well. So besides the fact that Benetti was, you know, maybe his profile was a little bit larger and also being a Chicago guy who a lot of people knew and, and, and connected to that way. Like I felt I had a little bit better of a sense of like, Oh, here's Benetti, the baseball voice. Now it took him a couple years, I think doing half season work to kind of get, you know, match his energy and his wit to a white Sox audience that, you know, was not used to that with Hawk Harrelson and all the silence, like Benetti talking way more than Harrelson did when things went uh, poorly. Benetti being a lot more informed than Harrelson was and wanting to share what he had learned and, and some current information. So like there was an adjustment period and it took a couple of years, but I think that's one thing the mm -hmm. White Sox handled well. Now, you know, the way Hawk Harrelson tells it now, uh, he didn't appreciate the way Brooks Boyer uh, shunted him aside basically, or he felt like it wasn't how he wanted to go out. But as a consumer, of White Sox baseball. I thought they did that pretty well. Like it's better than like Harrelson getting like calls to resign because of some thing he said that was, you know, horribly out of place in a 2020s broadcast. Like, uh, you know, I think he represented himself well enough. The White Sox did him well. And Benetti got a couple years to, you know, uh, assimilate to the White Sox broadcast booth in one way. And also like allow people to get used to him. You know, you don't have to change too much. Just, I think, had to ease up a little bit on, like, how how much he joked uh, until the baseball got bad and then he had a joke all the time. So, with that in mind, like, listening to uh, Schriffen on Parkins and Spiegel, my initial reaction was, like, is his energy misplaced? Hmm. Like, does he know what he's walking into in terms of, like, when he praises Jerry Reinsdorf, and then this also happened in the Zoom call, and he calls, you know, I'm looking for the quote here. You know, when you look at what Jerry has done for this organization, like that question mark, <laughs> he just lives, breathes, sleeps baseball. Um, 
Yeah. And, and just like every sentence he says, like you can, you know, kind of mystery science theater over it and say like, yeah, but, or, and that's why the White Sox are in the mess they are because he thinks too much about baseball and doesn't know what he doesn't know. So like, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, speaking of like out of town, stupid, uh, not that I want to use that word for him, but just like along the lines of like, I think he's walking into a situation where he doesn't maybe know how jaded the fan base is. And so when I hear him talking about how Pedro Grafol has gotten pumped, got him pumped up for next season, like he's the first person Pedro Grafol has excited uh, because everybody else watching White Sox games can't react to him at all. So like that's, you know, so I, I listen to some of his answers and be like, oh no, 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 no. You know, just, uh, you know, like he said he, you know, he's looking forward to doing his research and getting to know Chicago. And like, there's a lot about Chicago. I think he needs to know in terms of just like how bad it's gotten with the White Sox, how little White Sox fans trust what's coming from the White Sox and very positive guy, energetic, good voice, like kind of, you know, I can see how he can be good. So I want to withhold judgment. And I think as the season goes along, like you might not notice him, you know, there might be you know, a lot of other things to notice where he's not going to stand out, but just like, you can't blame him for being excited and being positive and speaking well of the guy who hired him uh, because a lot of people like they get the dream job. They love the person that hired them there. They feel indebted, but just, it felt a little bit like mismatched or um, yeah, on the zoom call, you can't do it. You know, uh, introductory call. You can't do it. Like read the room. Like there's no room to read. Uh, but as he goes along, I think it's going to be, you know, White Sox fans don't like the team as much as John Schriffen does right now. And I think that's going to be something that uh, he might not be aware of uh, because of just how poorly things went and the way like Jason Benetti, like, you know, that, you know, he defaults a lot of goofy humor because like it beat talking what was on the field or like he couldn't say what he wanted to say. So you could hear him hold his tongue at times and be like, well, we have to default to this. Uh, So he would know like not to sell anything the White Sox say like he didn't you know thinking back to like uh Benetti and Stone talking about Pedro Grafol I didn't really hear much about them talk about Grafol much like in the last couple Especially months of the season exactly yeah to your point the last couple months no yeah like not you know his moves and such you know what he said about players how he planned to use them etc but like in terms of like culture foundation uh you know talking about Pedro Grafol baseball that stuff didn't really come up so like that's one thing that jarred me a little bit was like oh he's I don't recall any, you know, the White Sox broadcast booth expressing opinions on Pedro Grafol at all, or like expressing support for him. This sounds weird. So yeah, that, that was my impression of just like his, his uh, introductory uh, Zoom call and the circuit he made so far around Chicago media is like, oh boy, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of bless your heart in a way. Like uh, who's going to tell him? That was kind of my reaction. Well, he said in the Zoom call that, He's listened to podcasts. He's dumbed through the blogs as far as pre-research. Oh, <laughs> oh you're a fan of White Sox podcast? Name 10. <laughs> Let's gatekeep uh, on John Triffin. That's kind of funny. So maybe he's listened to us, yeah. Jim. No, I mean, like, uh, like, 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 you kind of remind me of Chris Getz, like having to back up Jerry Reinsdorf and saying like, you know, we're going to turn this thing around. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're as embarrassed as anybody about the season. And then like a month later, it gets like, 
I'm going to need to do a deep dive. And then two months later, still doing that deep dive. And then like, <laughs> yo, I don't like this team. Like, yo, so the further he got from the initial comments, the more he could yeah. speak his mind in terms of what he actually saw. And I imagine Triffin might have a little bit of that going on where when he's that uh, close to the decision and the conversations and uh, Ryan's sort of like, yeah, I got to got to speak well and got to everything's positive. Everything's great. And then like, you know, once, you know, he's in the, leaves the rearview mirror, kind of like a, a cop in the median, like <laughs> after uh, it disappears from sight, like, okay, I can go back to being a, a 10 over the speed limit uh, and, and get back to what I was normally doing or what I actually think. Like, yeah, that's kind of what it reminds me of. And maybe the possibility here is like, he's really positive now. Uh, but as uh, the season comes along, like maybe be a little bit more grounded in terms of what the expectations of this team actually are. The things that caught my attention during the Parkinson Spiegel interview, which if you haven't got a chance to listen, we'll link that in the podcast post on SoxMachine.com so you can listen to in its entirety. One, John does not know Jason Benetti. So Danny Parkins asked, have you talked to Jason Benetti at all? John does not know Jason Benetti. Yeah. And John brought up that he's not a comedian, that... He doesn't have a, a, a mm-hmm. humor bone in his body. Those were, and that he is dedicated to the White Sox. So that's the third thing. And he mentioned that in the Sun-Times article as well, that he is dedicated to the White Sox, and this is going to be his primary job, that he has some broadcast left in ESPN. Yeah. Following up with why Jason Bedetti, Brooks Boyer, Jerry Reinstorf were butting heads is that, Jerry did not appreciate Jason Benetti's humor and his attempts to provide comic relief from what we are watching on the television broadcast. Brooks Boyer did not like that Jason had other obligations outside of the Chicago White Sox. Those were two big things that they were butting heads on. And they hire the guy who admits that he's not funny and that he's making this his primary job. This seems to be a complete opposite of Jason Benetti. Mm-hmm. Dave Fleming, really risky decision. He was he was the vo- radio voice of the Boston Red Sox at W. Will Fleming? I think Dave Fleming's sorry, his brother. Will Fleming. Yeah, Will Fleming. I apologize. Yep. I got the Flemings mixed up. Will Fleming. So if you've been yelling at me on the podcast, I apologize. Will Fleming leaving his post at WEEI in Boston as the Red Sox radio voice. Maybe he felt like he was going to be getting this job. I don't know what he's going to be doing now as spring training is just a few weeks away. And I I think highly of Connor McKnight. I think he does a great job on the radio side for the White Sox and pre and post game show. I think he's done a great job filling in for Jason Benetti and Len Casper last year on both radio and television He is a veteran in dealing with us, White Sox media and fans. So maybe the White Sox see Connor McKnight and be like, oh, you got too many war wounds. Let's go with the fresh baby face here and bring in John and see if he can bring some optimism, some much needed positive energy. Not saying that Connor wasn't doing that because Connor was doing that, but Connor would acknowledge what is happening and acknowledge the situation the White Sox in, and maybe, and actually still to this day, the White Sox are not wanting to acknowledge the situation that they have currently put themselves into. 
So I think that's kind of why John is getting this multi-year deal. Now, is this still going to be on NBC Sports Chicago next season or on Stadium? We've talked about that. Time will tell. But yeah, I, I'm curious. He does bring a lot of energy into his ESPN broadcast and football and basketball. So when there are exciting things happening, I think John's going to hit it out of the park, to use a baseball pun. But as I said at the beginning part of this show, I think this is a 55-win team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how many exciting moments is John going to have in 2024 for the Chicago White Sox? It may not be that many. So how is John going to be entertaining when you are broadcasting what could be very dull baseball? That's what's going to be interesting about the difference between John and Jason Benetti. Yeah, the point you made about like the White Sox hiring his exact opposite was like, that's another reason to be skeptical of just the decision. Like, are they, is this motivated by emotion? Is it a case of just like, we are so unhappy with the way it went down last time? We're going to stick it to, in their minds, we're going to stick it to the idea that we grew to hate and we're going to stick it to, you know, inadvertently going to stick it to the fans who ended up liking that idea that we grew to hate. Like, oh, we're proud of this broadcaster. We like that he's covering big college football games and big college basketball games because that's our guy. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear Jason Benetti's voice on the USC broadcast at night. Like you know, a lot of White Sox fans were like that. Like, uh, and White Sox might've been like, no, he's our guy. You can't have him. Like, we, we're uncomfortable with him working with other studios and having, you know, having other options. So that's, uh, yeah, it feels very narrow-minded the way the White Sox went about it. I guess the good thing is they did a search and, you know, these are all dream jobs. So they're going to get a lot of good uh, applicants, no matter how bad the team is, because you just got to get recognized by one team as being worth it to have other teams say like, Oh, this guy was worth it. Like you get a lot more opportunities getting that first job uh, than if you like hold out for the perfect job. Like Dave Wills, you know, we talked about him uh, being the White Sox pre and post game show. Like it would have been awesome if Dave Wills ended up replacing John Rooney, but he left a year before Rooney because the Rays job opened up uh, doing the play by play for them. And he just couldn't let that pass. Like you got to take that job. If you are, uh, waiting for that one one of 30 jobs or in that case one of 28 yep. jobs i think that was one of 30 then uh but like just uh you know wanting that opportunity like you got to take it so in this case like yeah he's got to take it so you can't blame anybody for wanting this job and uh speaking very positively about the organization that hired you to give you that job but i'm, I'm just waiting to see like how whether he matches that energy whether this is just giddiness uh, which is understandable and as he settles into the chair He'll sound like Mike Monaco did last year, which is like, fine. You know, just a little bit, mis not misplaced, but just like you could tell he was new and not uh, didn't have like the cadence that Benetti had with Stone, but like, fine. Called a fine ball game, hit all the facts, hit all the notes, uh, you know, good job. Yeah, you know, like he might be that guy, Mike Monaco again, like, and White Sox fans will think like, yeah, he's all right. And it'll take a while to get to know him personally. Uh, that's kind of how I'm thinking, you know, you're trying to balance the like, oh, this is a little bit weird versus like, ah, you can't blame him for being excited. So here's hoping, but yeah, just, it is weird that the White Sox put more energy into this than they did into hiring a GM. <laughs> well, I mean, Brooks Boyer led the, the hiring process here for 
the White Sox new TV play-by-play guy. So cap tip to Brooks Boyer for putting in more effort than Jerry Reinsdorf in finding someone to run baseball operations. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just when you put those two side by sides, like we care more about like uh, what people think of us versus why people think of us the way they think of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, best of luck to John Triffin as he takes over for Jason Benetti in the TV booth. Again, when there are exciting things, you could watch John now. He's calling college basketball games for ESPN. He's great when there are exciting things happening, but he and Steve Stone are going to have to be pre- be prepared uh, for some slow, dull moments <laughs> in the White Sox. And at least Steve had a comedy partner in Jason Benetti. We'll see on how John handles those situations for the upcoming season. Well, just real quick, like one thing that's going to be fascinating is like, you know, Sto- Benetti got a lot out of Stone and we've heard Stone with other partners like clam up when like they try to lead him to a conversation he doesn't want to have. It just hits a dead end, and that uh, that broadcaster, whether it's Monaco, Connor McKnight, Chuck Swirsky, et cetera, I had to do like a three point turn to get something that uh, you know Stone would talk about. So yeah, that's one thing I, I'm going to be listening to closely is like how game of a partner Steve Stone is in terms of indulging some conversations that uh, Schriffen wants to have that Stone might not be like you know up for doing, but. For the long haul, he's got to give more than he has to other temporary partners. Let's go through the other bullet points pretty quick here that I missed. So I'm fully caught up. The White Sox signed another reliever, John Brabia, who pitched for the San Francisco Giants the last three seasons. Also pitched for the St. Louis Cardinals in the 2017 to 2019 season. He missed the 2020 season. And the good for Brabia he strikes out, he struck out 29.2% of the batters that he faced in 2023 for the San Francisco Giants and he had a FIP and ERA below 4. The concerning news, his ground ball rate 29% last year. He had a career high of 36.3% with the Giants in 2022. Now, in San Francisco, you could get away with low ground ball rates like that. But if you are allowing a line drive or fly ball more than 70% of the time at Gary T. Ray field. Okay. There could be some ugly, ugly innings upcoming here. So, but again, I I'm interested to see, this is another guy that Brian Bannister is very familiar with. Uh, it's obviously Bannister and Brabia together in San Francisco. So let's see in what Brabia could bring to the White Sox bullpen. We knew that they needed more arms. And I guess this is a, a chance for Pedro Grafal to have a reliable guy in the bullpen. A common theme for all everyone involved with White Sox players. If Brabia stays healthy, Jim, he could surprise and lead the bullpen in innings pitched in 2024. I, I don't th- I don't think it's that drastic to say that Bravia is going to be used and he's going to be used a lot. And when he's been healthy, he likes being used a lot. Like he likes taking the ball opener, mid leverage, high leverage. Doesn't hasn't gotten a whole lot of save situations, but you think that like if it's advantageous to do so, that he doesn't shy away from it. Uh, also seems like a, uh, and talking about senses of humor here, uh, a funny guy, uh, who, uh, rubs some, yeah. One of the things was he'd like to have some, uh, 
on mound debates with Gabe Kapler about, you know, giving him the ball and, you know, you'd uh, protest on the mound in a humorous way. But like one of those uh, interactions came when on the day the Giants were eliminated from postseason contention and it kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. So he's got a little bit of like, yeah, he's a funny guy, but also like a case of, uh, um, you know, Benettian, uh Ryan sort of like pick your spots a little bit better in, in San Francisco. Uh, but with the White Sox, given how, you know, low expectations they have, like his attitude might be welcome. Just somebody who, you know, as somebody who had to pitch an independent ball and he had Tommy John surgery and missed some time late bloomer and uh, made his major league debut at 27. Like he's seen worse. He's seen uh, he's hit some dead ends in baseball. And so like every year in a major league uniform is a gift. Uh, and he seems to have that attitude like White Sox can probably use that and somebody who's okay with opening and okay with throwing, you know, the ball, uh, you know, whatever kind of role they want to put him in White Sox can use that. I'm not, you know, like in terms of his fly ball percentage, like he's somebody who throws his slider and fastball equally and oftentimes uses his slider to set up the fastball. He's one of those like extension, uh, disguising release points, ball kind of jumps on hitters to make a velocity seem a tick higher. So a lot of those fastballs in the air are miss hits. Uh, like when he's going well, uh, the barrel rate is pretty low. So, you know, he gets a lot of mileage out of like ordinary fly balls. So there is a path to success, even though the ballpark is different to where like he can be a good reliever. Uh, just a matter of like, yeah, if he's healthy, um, you know, had a lat strain last year that cost him some time. Uh, injuries that he's had, None of them are chronic or recurring or like, you know, trouble spots. They're just, you know, uh, here's a major one with a UCL repair, which is common. Here's a lat strain, which is not not uncommon. So, you know, we'll see about his durability, but like no red flags yet. And I think he has a lot to offer a bullpen that I think is going to be pretty amorphous. The only concern, again, another concern with the fly ball rate, though, to counter what you say, Jim, it's fine if it's fly balls that are not hit deep. But it's Andrew Benatendi in left field, and we have no idea in right field. Yeah. So, John, if you're listening to this, keep the fly balls to center field. That's your best chance <laughs> to keep an ERA below four. But, again, I'm just – I'm concerned. This is a fly ball reliever and guarantee rate field are not a great combination. Not a great combination. But I think if he could stay healthy, he's a veteran – he has proved it multiple times. He's got four seasons in his career out of six seasons where he's pitched more than 50 innings in a season, 45 plus games. He pitched 40 games last year, as Jim mentioned, even with the lat strain. I think he's going to be used a lot. So get used to John Brabia, White Sox fans. Uh, other points. Garrett Crochet wants to be a starting pitcher. I don't know how many times I'm going to say this, but this is the last time I'll say it. This is the stupidest idea that the White Sox could possibly have now, but I was amazed and it has got me thinking ever since you wrote it, Jim, that if the White Sox really want to be clever, put Garrett Crochet in the minor leagues to learn on how to be a starting pitcher and build up that endurance, you can gain an extra year of control that's incredibly sneaky, and if all parties involved, the White Sox and Garrett Crochet, are actually serious about him being a major league starting pitcher, that is the best route. Not, I'm in Glendale, and I think I can start. That's cute. 
And I think I could be 185 pounds by May. Ain't going to happen, Garrett. Ain't going to happen. Can we, we need to stop this. Okay. Somebody needs to talk sense into Garrett Crochet. And while I'm on this mini rant here, this is another example of just how poor the White Sox are in communicating. But on the player side and baseball operations side, how is nobody, nobody sat down with Garrett Crochet and just talk him through and why this is the best route for you as a professional baseball player? They continue to leave things up in the air and go with this philosophy of let's let the players decide. But you hear from the most successful organizations in which the players share stories often like the Dodgers and the Astros and the Rays of teams sit you down in a room. They tell you the things that you are best at. Let's just focus and put you in the positions that you're best at. Let's not have you think or work on something that you're not going to be good at. And man, Garrett Crochet, he may have the stuff. We could debate that. He probably doesn't have a starting pitching arsenal today for the major leagues, but he doesn't have the endurance. He, his arm again, coming off Tommy John surgery recently is not built up to take the ball every five days and give you 20 starts in the major leagues. It's just not. So I don't understand mm-hmm. why we're still talking about this in 2024. Again, it is the stupidest thing involving the White Sox player side right now. And it takes the cake for me ahead of the White Sox still not knowing what's going on in right field. We've heard with the White Sox and draft picks and who was responsible for picking who at what time and what the original plan was before somebody stepped into a room and said, no, we need this person or we're, we need, you know, we're, we need to have as, you know, somebody as close to the majors as possible and whatnot. So being removed now a few years from that 2020 draft, like I am curious who's left, who had what idea for that pick who is fans of Garrett Crochet as a reliever? Who is fans of Garrett Crochet as a starter? Um, and that's, I think, would go a long way in explaining, like, what ambitions are really real versus what ambitions are just like, eh, I'm, you know, didn't really want him in the roster in the first place. Uh, so now we're just, uh, now that our original plans for, like, adding a somebody who could be a high leverage lefty reliever to a team that is on the upswing since all that has collapsed, both with the team failing and with crochet, not being healthy enough to establish himself as like a rock solid eighth or ninth inning lefty. uh, You kind of go back to the drawing board a little bit. And, you know, maybe if, if you have some people in the white Sox organization still there saying like, we thought he could start if he only made this change. Like maybe there's that, maybe there's also a case of, didn't want to rush him. Be nice to get a year of service time back. This is the way to do it. Like, that's also a case. Like, maybe Crochet is still around. Thing I don't really understand, like, or I think it's, you know, maybe a little bit admirable in Crochet's case is, like, his path to riches is staying in the bullpen. Like, his closest, you know, getting to free agency the fastest, getting that half season that gets him that, like, life-changing extension the fastest, you know, having that one year as the guy throwing high nineties with a pretty good slider from the left side, like that can get you $30 million in a free agent contract from, you know, various teams. So like I admire him saying like, 
I really want to start. I believe this is my role and tabling that a little bit or delaying it uh, and saying like, no, I really believe in my heart of hearts that this is my calling and baseball is to start like can admire that conviction and say like, well, let's see, you know, you know, just kind of like I'm with you in that. I don't see it, but I'm curious what's driving him that hard to bypass all the advantages from staying in the bullpen now that you've been accumulating service time while hurt and have you're already reached arbitration while throwing very few major league innings like you're ahead of the game uh when it comes to pay scale and yeah the money's there the money the money's so close if you stay in this course so like that's what I, i'm fascinated by just the personal drive uh, that crochet has to say like, no, I can start, I can reset my, uh, yeah, my, my free agency clock, or at least yeah, set it back a year and maybe expose myself further. Like, you know, could get hurt again, trying to start like, you know, you never quite know. Um, yeah, there's a lot that can go wrong. I see more going wrong than more going right for him. So I, I'm just curious, like if he can see it, what does he see? Or is it going to be a case of like, he should have seen what we saw all along, but you know, given that the White Sox don't have anything to play for, this isn't like taking an eighth inning guy out of a team that needs every reliever because they might win 90 games and every marginal win counts. Like if that were the case, I'd say, no, this is foolish. Get back in the bullpen. Stop it. But since the White Sox have nothing to play for, like I am curious, like, you know, the kind of the bold strategy cotton, let's see how this plays out. Like that's kind of my, uh, my attitude with this is like, I don't see it, but like if it, if, at the end of the season, when it comes to free agency, the White Sox can pretend that this year didn't exist. Like, and if he, you know, stands a chance of getting hurt in the bullpen anyway, because he hasn't stayed healthy in any role, like I don't see the harm. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of curious, kind of a morbid curiosity in a way, but also like, you know, sometimes people surprise you. So I am willing to be a little bit open, probably more open-minded than you and saying like, why does this guy believe he can start as uh you know, as strongly as he does, given the lack of evidence. Yeah, I, there's no openness. I'm very close-minded in this topic. Garrett needs to regain his velocity, improve his command, have a sharper slider so he can actually be an average reliever in the major leagues. I think this is a waste of time. I think it's a waste of time for everybody involved. The White Sox, Garrett Crochet, us talking about this, anyone thinking about this, I just, no, no. The ship has sailed. Unless he wants to spend a year in the minors, then go do that. Uh, but let's not try to teach someone in the major leagues on how to be a starting pitcher. Because, uh, yeah, the chances are high. Very, very high. He could hurt himself in this process and then miss even more time. And I guess to your point, you know, in a, the 2024 White Sox, let's pretend this season doesn't exist. That could be the tagline for this upcoming season. Uh, if he gets hurt, don't have to offer him a contract. It's not guaranteed next year. He's in arbitration. So you can uh, officially flame another first round pick into the dumpster fire. Uh, a couple more things. One, Mark Burley survives the Hall of Fame voting. Uh, that's good to see. Uh, Ichiro, CC Sabathia are the headliners for next year. How long? How much longer is Mark Burley going to be on this ballot, Jim? Do you think he can make all 10 years on the ballot before fading out? I think he can just because I think there is a little bit of momentum, not for him, but for like, how come we as the electorate are not enthusiastic about any starting pitcher? 
Like Sabathia is a better case than Burley, but after that, like it's all guys who are worse than Burley in terms of like Hall of Fame merit. You know, Felix Hernandez, Cole Hamels. Well, you get the East Coast bias with Andy Pettit and Burley, which we've had that conversation for years. About but like, those in, two. but Pettit, yeah. you know, he's got the PED ties, which hurts him a little bit. But he also has like the extensive postseason experience, like a whole Wilbur Wood type season in the postseason. Right. So like, yeah, I get, I get him getting the nod above Burley, uh, but like. Everybody coming on the ballot, Cole Hamels, John Lester, like they're all worse than Burley. They, they all have worse cases. So like if he's not Hall of Fame worthy, but he's the best of what that position has to offer. I think it's a fascinating debate in terms of like, do we just keep holding that line at 200 plus wins or like, cause like Johan Santana was one and done on the ballot, despite having like a very good peak case yeah. for a Hall of Fame pitcher. So like, you don't like the peak cases, you don't like the career cases and Burley is like, one of the ultimate career cases, just how steady he was. Uh, if you don't like either, then like you're just hoping for like Justin Verlander to show up or Max Scherzer to show up, like waiting for them. Zach Greinke is another one, but like that's, you know, you're ignoring like so many people in the game, like half, half of the players on rosters are pitchers and you're ignoring them. And like the, the main draw of, this starter versus this starter. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, matters game to game and series to series post uh, postseason to postseason. But like when it comes to the, their ultimate careers, like everybody's kind of unimpressed. So I can't see him hanging around just as like people want to vote for starting pitchers, even if they don't like feel like he's a hall of famer. Like at some point the hall of fame standards have to shift to where like he's now somebody who might be a hall of famer, like the way Burt Blylevin was ignored and now it seems criminal that he was ignored, but at the time, like he was just like, I don't know, he lost a lot of games, and but he also won a ton. So it's just, uh, you know, we, we sometimes see cases like that where, twenty years later, people don't understand like why was this such a big deal? And it could be the case for Burley too, or anybody with over two hundred wins, where they get another look because of just how the standards have changed. Uh, I think the standards of the voting group would need to change in order for that yeah. to change more quickly. I think timing here, the things need to evolve with the BBWAA rapidly, especially with the awful news that's going on in print journalism world, your ex world that you, that you were in, that, you know, very, you're, I'm out of town, stupid when it comes to that topic. Uh, mm-hmm. But speaking of out of town, that's stupid rant. for like the wrong. Yeah. <laughs> for like the LA times. I don't know if you saw that story. Mm-hmm. They're not having the Dodgers beat reporter travel with the team. Like, I get if the Tribune and sometimes say our beat reporters are not traveling with the White Sox team. But after signing Shohei Otani, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going to send a beat reporter to travel? What? Like, why even have a beat reporter then for this season? Just pay the Associated Press to cover the games for the Dodgers and just have Dodgers analysts and columnists. LA Times, just stupid. So stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the last thing, the White Sox signed some international prospects. They signed four international prospects. And before we get into that, something that I think we're going to get more, there's so much developing news out of the Dominican Republic outside of the terribleness of the Wander Franco case. Uh, but this is also being reported that there's age forgery issues in the Dominican Republic with some of these international prospects in which deals that teams have agreed upon uh, a year, maybe a couple years in advance are being nixed. 
And the drumbeat again of the international draft for Major League Baseball is getting louder and louder as the corruption in the Dominican Republic and the international pool is of great concern for all parties involved. And we are approaching even more illegal activity, which has always been a gray area for Major League Baseball in this time period. Uh, so keep an eye on that as that story continues to develop of the Dominican Republic. But Jim, the new international prospects, anyone that's intriguing to you, I know that they're teenagers, but we always hope that one of these will pan out like they have for other teams in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean, Eduardo Herrera, uh, third baseman uh, from Venezuela, getting $1.8 million, which the White Sox have never paid to a non-Cuban prospect. They've paid it for Luis Robert, of course. They've paid it for um, Yoel Cespedes, uh, Oscar Colas. Like, they've paid that kind of money for older more polished prospects but not for a 17 year old so you know when chris gets took over he talked about having a different direction internationally and so here's a case where you never know like how far in advance these deals are struck to where like chris gets might not have mattered this might have been a marco patty idea all along but it is something different so you can point to that and say like hey you know it, it, if you're not going to see like huge changes overnight and if like changes internationally uh don't take place because of all the networking and everything else that goes into signing these players can't be built uh, immediately. Then like it, it's a, it's a nudge in that direction uh, that they finally topped Mike Adolfo's deal for a teenage, uh, you know, kind of a standard international signing. Um, so like that's encouraging, but otherwise, yeah, I think it's a case where, you know, I, I saw James Fox talking about like, you know, he's already top 30 prospect. And like, when it comes to these guys, like, I just want to see what they do, especially stateside. But first, I want to see them like uh, in uh, you know DSL first, and like Eric Hernandez was the one million dollar signing out of Dominican a couple of years ago, and like he hasn't really done much. So, uh, Jose Josue Guerrero is another one who just you know got uh, seven figures and never could quite click. So you always have to suspend judgment and just wait to see what happens. But the White Sox are breaking new ground, so I think that's noteworthy in and of itself, and that's kind of how I judge these things initially. And then we'll have to see what happens. But at least, you know, it's a player who's going to the DSL who deserves to be in the DSL based on age versus, you know, having uh, Yolbert Sanchez, another guy who got more money than Herrera, uh, spending, you know, three months in the DSL playing guys four years younger than him for tax purposes. Like, it's all for tax purposes. But in this case, like, Herrera is playing among... Yeah, he's going to be player, playing against people older than him versus younger than him, which is uh, kind of what you want when you're spending that kind of money. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it, once he gets to Kannapolis and Winston-Salem, it feels more real. Like we have a better understanding of where they're going to be <laughs> yeah. in a course than Birmingham. Yeah. If he gets to Kannapolis, which Guerrero didn't get to. So, I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> he's going to get to Kannapolis. <laughs> yeah. We're going to yep, be just, like, that's forcing I mean, like, optimism that's it, at this last point. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's why I suspend judgment just saying, well, yeah, we'll see. But uh, the dollar figure jumps out to me. Everything else will be uh, uh, oftentimes we'll see if the player matches. This is a case where like, you know, Andy Barquette was really nice to have around the organization because he would be the guy providing video. He's the White Sox former hitting coordinator for right. the system. And he would provide you know, a fair amount of video for guys that you couldn't see otherwise. Uh, you, you, the games aren't televised. There aren't many uh, prospect evaluators there, um, at least English speaking ones who are uh, connecting with the English speaking, um, you know, 
greater baseball world who are you know reeling these videos. So Barquette was like really good at like being enthusiastic about the guys before they got to um, Arizona even. And so like, I will miss having him around because I am curious, like when he starts playing, like I want to see what he looks like. So, you know, maybe the White Sox will, you know, now that they're um, not rebuilding, they're definitely not rebuilding, uh, but whatever they're doing, um, perhaps you'll see a heightened focus again on the minor leagues and maybe you'll see the White Sox going to the DSL if Herrera is, you know, off to a really good start and maybe we'll see him there. Well, I feel like I'm caught up. Did I miss anything other than those six bullet points? Uh, just uh, Dylan Cease, the embers of rumors occasionally spark up and brief bit of optimism, and then they uh, they, they fizzle out again. So nothing has really changed. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And again, uh, for those that heard it, during the break uh, from our sponsors, but for our Patreon supporters, a reminder, we still have tickets on sale for our opening day Eve show at the Remova theater. Very exciting. You can, the link will be in the podcast page at socksmachine.com. I know it's still a ways away, but get your tickets early. These shows that we co-host with our friends from the one Oh eight do sell out. And even though this is going to be the largest theater that we have done, a live podcast and we're very excited because obviously it's opening day Eve. So everyone's excited for the regular season to start again, get your tickets early. And again, you could buy those either at the theater.com their official website, but we'll also have the link on socksmachine.com for you to purchase those tickets. If you just discovered the socks machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple music. You can follow us on social media. We're on all the platforms at socks machine. You can follow me at socks machine underscore Josh. And we also upload our podcast episodes into YouTube on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash socks machine for you to watch and listen. I got a lovely email from Google letting me know that Google podcasts. So if you listen to this show on Google podcasts, is going to be decommissioned in March, moving all of you over to YouTube. So Google's primary podcast platform is going to be on YouTube. So again, if you prefer that route, or if you decide that I was listening to podcasts and Google podcasts, but now I have to switch platforms, subscribe to your YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. If you enjoy your work and you want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash socks machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive work, exclusive content, and also ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. We still have some slots open in our veterans committee. They serve as our de facto board of directors. So if you want to be involved in some of the decision-making at Sox Machine and learn more behind the scenes of what powers us and gets us through and provide some advice and maybe some expertise that you could possibly have in helping us run better at SoxMachine.com, you can apply on Patreon.com slash SoxMachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.